everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today for episode 12 of season five of the Revise and Resubmit podcast. I'm Dr. Kim Bissell, the Southern Progress Endowed Professor in Magazine Journalism and the Associate Dean for Research in the College of Communication and Information Sciences at the University of Alabama. And I'm Dr. Annalisa Volan, an assistant professor in the Department of Communication Studies, also at the University of Alabama, and we both work in the Institute for Communication and Information Research, or the ICIR, at UA. We are less than 24 hours away from the 2022 election, and it's the time of the year where we have political ads coming at us from every direction. So question time, ding, ding, ding. Annalisa, do you tell, do you think the ads have any effect on how you may vote in a statewide or local election? And I ask state or local because we're not in a presidential election year right now. So that's a great question. And I don't know that the ads themselves do since they're typically like TV or radio spots. There's not like a lot of following up to do. But if they had like a QR code on the screen, then... (laughs) You know, maybe I could follow up, learn something else, and then maybe they would. But I do get information for sure from debates when they happen um, or when I see a a story on social media that I can click on and get the whole story. I'll do that sometimes. And I will say that I went to grad school the the first time um, in in communication (laughs) studies, and I wanted to study political communication because I had such a good time being in Mm -hmm. D.C. and interning as an undergrad. And it seemed like that year there were no political comm faculty or they weren't widely promoted or, or something. So that didn't happen. Um, so I, you know, went on and didn't do political communication, <laughs> even though I think it's super, super interesting. And then I will also make one small confession. So in 2000, which was the first time that I could vote in a political election, I was registered to vote. I went to go vote. The line was long and there was like some social event that I was thinking, like I left it and I thought, oh, it's going to take two minutes to vote. I didn't know that it would take longer. Um, And so I left my place in line to go back to like a wild Tuesday night party or (laughs) that's not me. So I don't know what was happening, but don't be me. Go vote tomorrow. Stay in line with an age. I have gotten wiser. Okay. Enough of my (laughs) monologue for this episode. Kim, what about you? Do you get swayed by political ads, texts these days, debates, phone calls, or social media? No, (laughs) no, no. The short, short and the long answer is definitely no. I think I'm at the point where I've reached burnout and fatigue Mm. And I just don't even want to watch them, hear them, or see them. I think <laughs> texts from local or statewide candidates, mm-hmm. I look at them, I delete them. Mm-hmm. Um, fortunately, anything that I might watch on television is um, in streaming or playback. <laughs> so I can advance right on through the ads. And it's kind of like the ads that all the lawyers have. Where oh, you- my gosh. Yeah, it's just it's just too much. So I I guess I would say that maybe if I'm swayed, I'm swayed against mm-hmm. whoever has the political ad because I just find the smear campaigns and attack ads to be annoying and I'm not learning information about the candidates when they attack others. Mm-hmm. So maybe it affects me, but not in the way that they want. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, so that, so, so that is my story with political ads. Mm. Um, we don't want to give away too many spoilers here because we will talk about all these things related to political advertising and today's guest, Dr. Josh Bramlin, an assistant professor in the department of advertising and public relations is going to tell us all about it. So we want to welcome Josh to the show. Welcome, Josh. Thank you so much for joining us today, Josh. We are thrilled to be able to have you. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be here as a super fan of the Revise and Resubmit <laughs> podcast. Oh, Yay, we love super fans. Okay, Josh, we're going to kick things off with a couple quick questions. Don't think too much. First question, uh, where are you from? I am from Arkansas, and so I was very thrilled to be moving back to the South Not- when I got this job. All right. And speaking of jobs, what is it that you do? I'm an assistant professor in the Department of Advertising and Public Relations, and I was hired to focus on digital political communication. This fall, I'm teaching two classes, APR 490, which is political advertising and public relations. I really like that title. It's it's like the Leo pointing meme of the <laughs> department title with politics added onto it. <laughs> and then a graduate seminar, CIS 650 Digital Political Communication. I'm guessing that you have like absolutely nothing to talk about this semester. <laughs> this is my favorite time of year <laughs> and not just for football season. Well, we're going to dive into all that. But before we do, uh, we have to ask, what did the young Josh see himself doing? Did you always know you wanted to be a professor or did you have a different vision, a young eight-year-old Josh? In kindergarten, it was right when Jurassic Park was out. And so my first <laughs> dream was to be a paleontologist, but I moved on from that. I've always been interested in, in politics. And so I had political ambitions. Mm. I worked on some political campaigns. Once I realized how hard that is that you have to actually win to then get a job in DC. <laughs> That's when I started thinking about moving into academia. I realized that instead of being president, you can study presidents and it's less stressful for the most part. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay. So at first I have to like comment on, Oh my gosh, I was so old when Jurassic Park came out. <laughs> Oh, but that's, that's okay. Okay. So, um, let's <laughs> dive in, um, political campaigns, wh- how did you make the jump from, or, or how did you figure out like, oh, I can study this. Was there a class you took in college? How did you get to where you are now? There was a class I took at Arkansas state that, that changed my life. Mm-hmm. And it was mass communication theory, which is why I'm a huge proponent of theory and methods as core classes that can be fun. And when I I had majored in political science and political science can focus more on institutions, comparing the price of grain by countries, things like that. But I realized in mass communication theory that you can study strategic political communication in communication departments or PR departments. And so that was a a gestalt shift moment 
in spring 2013 in Dr. Mary Jackson Pitt's class. I, I, I love that you said theory changes lives. So that's probably going to be the title of the episode. <laughs> Fun fact. Oh. We love to work with that. Okay, so Josh, just as a heads up, um, if you've listened to the podcast and it sounds like it's a super fan, you have, oh, you know sure. that we have 29 million follow-up questions. If you could give us an elevator pitch of the research that you do, and we'll try not to have 29 million follow-ups. I enjoy following the things that most people hate. <laughs> do tell, do tell. <laughs> so if I say political advertising, what's your response? Oh, I hate them. Go, go away. <laughs> Exactly. That is everyone's response. When I say I study political communication, then I get everyone's opinions about the latest <laughs> advertisement <laughs> that they've seen. But I, I look at strategic political communication from a few different ways. So my methodologies are primarily quantitative surveys and experiments plus content analysis. And I'll look at the influences and outcomes of consuming political advertisements or political debates or using social media to follow politics. But then I'll also study how politicians, elected officials, government agencies communicate strategically. Okay. okay. <laughs> no, you go ahead. Okay. We, we so, both have follow-ups, I promise. <laughs> here's my first question. Do you study, so political advertising, do you study both are all like local, state, and national, international, or do you focus on what one of those areas? That that is a great question. So one critique within the political communi communication circles is that it is often presidential centric, which makes sense. The presidency mm -hmm. takes up a lot of communication oxygen. One area that that I do focus on is is Senate communication. And so that's still top level at the federal level. Did one paper one time on mayoral advertisements in, in graduate school. And there are a lot of opportunities in working with new scholars to examine communication at different levels and not just the presidency. Looking at communication from international leaders is also important to do because one critique in communication theory of communication research is that it's often U.S. focused. And so mm -hmm. looking at global political communication is also a, a good goal. So when you say that you study mayoral, Senate, presidential, um, and then kind of the bigger picture was the influences and outcomes of consuming political advertisements. Have you done a comparative study? And if so, what differences, if any, did you find? That's a, that's a great question. With the mayoral study, what we did is a content analysis. And it was through functional theory, which is a classic framework in, in political research. But it's been several years, so I would have to go dust off <laughs> that paper. But what I look at when we look at the outcomes of things like watching debates mm -hmm. is, is, is we look at persuasive outcomes and normative outcomes. And so with persuasion, 
one critique of debates is, oh, these these aren't what's going to change the outcome of the election. And that's a very binary way of thinking about it, because, yes, in general election debates, only there's only a few undecided voters up for grabs and they would have to actually watch the debate. But what we also look at is normative outcomes and normative outcomes are are things like does watching a debate make you learn about candidates? And it does. Even the infamous first presidential debate of 2020 Mm. with with a record number of interruptions between (laughs) Biden and Trump. Voters still learn a lot about the Mm. candidates as people, because as compared to other forms of political media in debates, you see the raw person on stage for an hour, for example. And so looking at how voters learn is one normative outcome. You can look at bad normative outcomes. A lot of negative political advertisements can decrease trust in government or potentially increase cynicism if they are viewed as irrelevant and full of mudslinging. And so cynicism is one normative outcome, political interest as well. Mm -hmm. My favorite is political information efficacy. And this is the, this is a scale that is essentially how confident are you in your ability to talk about politics with friends, coworkers, and family. And what we find is that watching debates increases this. And so due to those positive normative outcomes, I like to call televised debates the broccoli of democracy. <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> okay, so either, meaning it's good, it's good for you, but some people don't like it? That is exactly, that's exactly right. <laughs> So, okay, so what you're saying is, well, maybe, um, and then I I'm, I have two parts to this. So even, so I should, I should watch debates. You should watch debates. What, it, can you tell, is there a type of person who watches the debate and becomes more cynical and shouldn't watch debates? Should debate watching only be for those who will, increase in their interest or can I increase an interest and cynicism that's a really good question and so what I'm gonna do there is actually use a classic debate response strategy which (laughs) is uh, answer provide the answer that I was already gonna say and and skirt around (laughs) the actual question which is what uh, candidates often do and so your question fits the idea that Political media has conditional influences, the type of message matters, and the type of person. People might have a lower tolerance for negativity. They could have more pre-existing civics knowledge and more of a framework for fact-checking in real time what a candidate is saying. And so the type of person and their, their demographic, their psychological traits matters and the type of message as well okay so given what you teach and all that you just said what do you tell your students about strategic ways to 
communicate if they're say working for a campaign or or something like that because I feel like given these outcomes you've just discussed you're kind of walking a, a, a pretty thin line in terms of okay all these things could potentially turn people away or turn them off so what is what are your strategies or what do you tell your students to do in terms of how to make it positive in terms of outcomes I absolutely talk about the normative ideals of having more yeah, civically healthy approaches. But we also talk about how ultimately the goal in electoral politics is to win. And so there will just be these ethical moments, these moments to make these ethical decisions when you're out there in the world. What I say is that it is good to focus more on issues and it can be good to focus more on what your candidate will do rather than what the other candidate won't do. Mm. And then also we just I focus on digital political communication. And so a lot of that is just in thinking about the strategies of using the affordances of social media. And so, for instance, if you have, if you, you can't just apply your television and billboard and direct mail strategy to social media with social media, it can be used for what's called calls to action. Click here, donate here, sign mm-hmm. up here, mm-hmm. volunteer here. And so if I look over an example of a Facebook advertisement and we see that it's full of text, it's a lot to read, boring then we can say that that strategically that's just not a good social media post. But when there are siren emojis and we need to win and we need your money right now, that can get engagement from supporters. And so that is another area that we look at. Okay. So another follow-up question. Um, What would you say has been the most surprising finding of the research that you've done? I know it's putting you on the spot just a little bit. The most surprising finding of any research that I've done. Well, I'll also give a non-answer there and say (laughs) that in a paper I just reviewed for Central States, uh, they found that cynicism didn't increase in that first Trump Biden debate, which Mm, that is very counterintuitive. I would have thought, and there's like a a meta analysis that looks at the cynicism outcomes in presidential debates in the 21st century. And for the most part, cynicism goes down after presidential debates. I would have thought that that would be the time where it would have gone up, but voters still learn about the political process from even that first debate. Do you think that, or, or is it possible to separate or isolate, maybe is the better word, like the influences and outcomes of watching a debate from, say, all of the ads that we're inundated with, or the, the tweets or the Instagrams or, the, or people TikToking and, and that sort of thing? That is the strength of panel studies (laughs) and panel studies can look at overall media diets. 
And so it's one time cross-sectional experiments can contribute to the conversation, but we need people everywhere doing all sorts of different methodological approaches to get us closer to knowledge with a capital K. (laughs) Okay. So you had mentioned that one of the critiques of people that do research in this area is that it tends to be, um, very U.S. centric and in many cases is kind of overlooking the global piece of it. So can you tell me just kind of hypothetically what a study like that would look like? Is it basically the same type of approach? You're just looking at, you know, a candidate in the U.K. or in France or is it a comparative thing or what? Can you tell us a little bit more about that? So Comparative studies are the approach I've taken with advising thesis projects. For instance, if I am working with a student, an international student on a thesis, then having one sample, that's a convenient sample of college students at our university, and then the other half of the sample is students at another university in a different country, then that can be one approach. And that could apply to as well to looking at leader communication. Okay. Um, So how do you do that? (laughs) Well, last time it it took quite a bit of time to get IRB approval (laughs) in the U.S., but then also it wasn't IRB approval elsewhere, but it was just permission in general from the provost. So it took a a little bit of time, but it is snowball sampling is what was ultimately used using the personal networks to reach out to people. And so knowing about snowball sampling and learning that and communication research methods is important to do. (laughs) Absolutely. Okay. So here's another question that I have. It's it does the political campaign strategy has it changed so going from we just watched tv and then maybe there were opinion pieces in newspapers or i don't know ads in newspapers but now we've got tv lots of news channels lots of digital um platforms social media are the strategies the same or are candidates reinventing how they um campaign and then are you reinventing how (laughs) to study the campaigns yes (laughs) (laughs) so that that has been the basis of the the doctoral class this semester is looking at how campaigns now operate as as news outlets do as celebrities do in a a fractured, fragmented, hybrid media environment. Campaigns and elected officials now turn to more segmented media spaces to reach specific audiences. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, when thinking about the presidency, there's a book, uh, The Ubiquitous Presidency, that I signed in class, and it talks about how The presidency from a communication perspective used to be about the president would sit at the Oval Office and give a primetime address on ABC, 
NBC and CBS. But now presidents tweet, obviously that's well known, <laughs> but they also will go on different, different random TV shows. And so <laughs> like late night comedy shows, that could be a good mm-hmm. example of that. But for instance, president Obama used to do his bracket on ESPN. And so that would be another example. And we're seeing that also with president Biden right now, he has been bringing TikTok influencers to the white house to wow. promote legislation. And so that is an example of political public relations, which I could <laughs> define for the audience. The, the PRSA definition of public relations is that it's a strategic communication process where you work on building mutually beneficial relationships. And so political public relations is strategic political communication that manages and builds relationships with key publics. And so instead of, instead of that being investors for a company, it's voters. And so a elected official like President Biden will reach out to different segments of voters on different platforms to manage relationships. So using TikTok to reach young voters, for instance, would be an example of that. And going to here in Alabama, a common approach to political PR is going to football games. And so it's good. Mm -hmm. You can't just go to Brian Denny Stadium. You also have to go to Auburn, Troy, to (laughs) South Alabama at halftime and wave to the crowds. And so that's political PR, too. Okay, so you've talked about these segmented media spaces to reach audiences, and then you talked about how it can also be done, you know, at football games and, and public venues and things like that. Is it important, is it important for politicians who are campaigning and then scholars to know, like, which of these media spaces might be the most effective? effective to reach audiences and if so how do you even know because I feel like when we're in campaign season like we are now you're just pummeled with all sorts of messaging and you know what I mean like so Mm -hmm. how do you how do you figure out what the most effective media space might be or can you research is a very important part of strategic planning and communication in general, and that applies to political campaigns as well. So they'll hire consultants who do audience and market research, things like that. With with advertising, we're seeing an increase, obviously, in digital advertisements. And so there you can get a lot of those analytics yourself with Facebook advertisements, for instance. And so (laughs) in real time, you can see if an advertisement isn't performing well with a specific segment and you can modify. And so Facebook ads are increasing, but also what's increasing is over the top ads. And this is Hulu, Roku platforms. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so that, that, and these, and one thing I always say is that, is that the, 
techniques, the strategies and tactics and the infrastructure being used by political campaigns is not as advanced as what is what you'll find with brands and corporations Mm -hmm. because a political campaign. One thing that happens is, well, when it's over, everybody, you know, packs up and leaves, but that doesn't happen at Coca-Cola. It's going on forever. Mm -hmm. And, and so these, these targeting tools used by campaigns are even more advanced at the, the corporate level. Okay, so here's one, maybe one final question. I have had a couple of students, not many, um, but a couple of students in, in all of the years that I have been teaching who have said something like, yeah, I'm going to run for office one day. <laughs> and, and I've and thought, oh, okay, you are, are, all right. So when you're teaching these classes, do you, like, I'm not asking you to name names, but do you ever look at some students and you're like, ooh, you would, you know, like, you should really be listening to what I'm saying because I think you could make it in this area. <laughs> or look at the other <laughs> and say, no. Like, do you ever say, the question is, I guess, do you see students who, who you think, like, show promise or could are good in the area of this strategic political communication? For sure. I would say that I, I compliment students in emails at the end of the semester. So as, <laughs> you know, not to show bias while the class is going on, but, but absolutely also with, with grad school, sending them an email saying, you know, your work's really great. I think you could apply to grad school, maybe at the University of Alabama. <laughs> mm-hmm. But uh, one thing that's so I I start class in APR 490, looking over the job boards on WorkForCongress.com, and and I tell I tell students that you can be the person behind the person. That's what political communication can be. You can be you know the brains and the strategy behind a politician, and so. While in college, starting with an internship on Capitol Hill or at the state capitol can be a really good way to get your foot in the door. Mm. And, and it's all, it is all, a lot of it then can be luck in terms of you start working for someone and they win or they get tapped for this role and then you're on a wild ride of destiny. Ooh, I like it. Oh, I like that. <laughs> Um, so this has been so fun and enlightening. We are, however, at the point where we've got to ask some fun follow-up questions and we consider these recommendations that you can give to our listeners. Um, so no pressure. You can make stuff up. Nobody's going to actually follow up. Um, but (laughs) you can give us good recs. So what's your favorite TV show or what are you watching right now? And I can't wait for this answer. So I watch a lot of reality TV with my wife. Right now we're focused on Bachelor in Paradise because it's 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 an hour and a half, two nights a week. And that's really it's kind of a chore to watch, but it's one of our guilty <laughs> pleasures. But the Bachelor franchise, we're behind on Survivor, but I'm a big Survivor and Big Brother fan as well because they they could be viewed as 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 shallow shows with a lot of just 
funny moments, but they're also social experiments. Yes. Where you can employ strategy and deception and building alliances. And I really enjoy Big Brother when it's on uh, for the, the psychology and the social strategy going on. Okay. So the next quick question then is, if you had to pick one of those reality shows to be on, don't say Bachelor in Paradise, but <laughs> which one would it be? So I've thought a lot about about this with Big Brother and Survivor in particular. And I think that I would choose Big Brother because, number one, you get to stay in a house and and take showers and eat meals and, and things like that. Uh, but I also, I think that I could, I would have a game plan for it. So I'm actually going to wait. What Big Brother often does is they'll have one older person. Everybody else is 25 and they're influencers, but then they have one older guy. And so I'm going to wait until <laughs> I'm tenured and then I'm going to the go, uh, then I'm going to start. I'm sorry. And you're the older guy. <laughs> right. I'm going to wait you know, a little while and then I'm going to go on as the professor, just as a full on persona <laughs> and see what I can do. And so that's a goal of mine, maybe even post more than 10 year full professor. Because <laughs> uh, one, one downside is that is that Big Brother Twitter is very active and they will dissect your entire life. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but so you have to be you have to be ready for that uh, but I but I think I think that would be fun but the 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 big fear though would be being the first person booted off that's yeah. always a fear oh, so you wait sure. your whole life yeah to go on survivor and then you're the first person out <laughs> and then I mean how do you even recover for that I don't know so don't that could actually be a study is interviewing people after oh, those shows about their, yes. their, <laughs> the normative outcomes of being on reality TV. I like it. I like that a lot. Um, okay. What book is on your nightstand or what are you reading right now? So when it comes to reading academic books, I'm more of a morning reader. And so I'm more of a Saturday, Sunday reader of like dense books on my nightstand i read comic books oh so okay right now i'm right now i'm working on the avengers kang omnibus and so that is going to be kang is going to be the the villain in the next phase of marvel movies and so i'm working on like a 20 issue giant comic from the late 90s about that to do research to prepare for those movies cool yeah. Okay, last question. What's a movie we all need to see right now? So we just watched Bodies, Bodies, Bodies on Prime, and it was a lot of fun. It was very surprising. So it has Pete Davidson. That's why we watched it. Uh-huh. But it was just a lot of fun. It's a it's a dark movie, like a dark comedy. But but it just it just hit streaming platforms and it was a lot of fun and only like an hour and a half, which is always good. Yeah. <laughs> right. This has been so much fun um, talking with you today, Josh. We loved hearing about who
who you are and what you do and this research um, that's certainly relevant at all times, but especially relevant um, in our current season. So thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Thank you so much for the opportunity. One more plug, which is a podcast trope, <laughs> is that if you're, if this episode drops in time, then this Tuesday, November 8th, the Office of Politics and Communication and Media, OpCam, is going to have an election night watch party, I think in room 216. And so I'll be one of the speakers going over how I follow election night results. It drops so that will be, there'll be pizza and then discussion panels as well. And so it'll be an election night party. We, we have scheduled you for, to air on Monday. So the... Have to say, go out and vote. That's right. That is also important too. That's the most important normative outcome of all is going to vote. And so make sure you vote. I got my my Alabama driver's license right in time to register to vote before the deadline. So well, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. Roll tide. Roll Roll tide. tide.